you will, this morning. Titus chapter number 3. We're going to uh, look this morning at a topic that a lot of people, uh, we're going to talk about politics, okay? So we're continuing talking about the issue, the, the kind of the broad things that things, uh, the times they are changing. And uh, we've looked at some issues uh, last week. We looked at the, the cycle, uh, the, the cycle of the nation and everything. And we're in our winter time. We're actually pretty far down in our winter time. And uh, in that, we, we have things changing, things dying, things uh, moving to away. And the things that we do in the wintertime really then are going to dictate what's going to happen in the spring, summer, and the fall. And this time frame right now, we have a, a really a critical point in, in, in our winter time. I, I don't think it's a critical point in our nation because we've had these critical points in the past. But we do have a critical scenario right now in the wintertime in this cycle. And uh, that is November 3rd. And the issue that's coming with the election, you know, you know, what is it? Next, tomorrow is your last day to register to vote. We have, in, in our country, we have a wonderful thing called We the People, <laughs> a little, little document called the Constitution. And it gives us the right to, to pick our representatives and to vote and to do and so forth. And when you think about politics, I know what everybody says, you don't talk about politics and religion, right? And I'll be honest with you, because of that, I think we're in this, is one of the main reasons we're in our situation we're in right now, where we're divided. Because you couldn't, because you were told, don't talk about politics and religion. And so guess what, what we can't talk about with each other? Politics and religion, see? Um, I, I think that's one of the things that have kind of got us to where we're at because we do not know how to have an articulate conversation and then to agree with people who disagree with us and we'd be all right. I was reading, a, uh, I, I like to read, you know, Grant and those guys, you know, all the, the, the uh, uh, historian stuff and everything, and uh, they were talking about Tip O'Neill, if you remember who Tip O'Neill was, and how him and... Uh, Newt Gingrich and all those guys would go at it during the day and then go have dinner with each other in the evening and everything was civil and good. You can't do that today because we've, we're different generations, different societal and so forth. But what happens then is everybody says, well, you shouldn't be talking about politics, Rick. You're a preacher, you're a pastor. And I got to thinking about it. And, excuse me. And I actually got mad. And I usually don't get mad about some, I get kind of perturbed, but I got mad. Because when you come to scripture, Paul talks about politics. And he does it a lot. Now, there's a simplicity that's in Christ. I don't think we need 18 weeks of how to deal with the politicians. Because Paul deals with it, he deals with it quickly, and he deals with it succinctly. And when you think about Paul and you think about our pattern, you, I hope your mind goes back into the book of Acts, where in Acts 21, Paul gets caught up in a religious squabble, and the Jews take him to the civil government, Rome. And then Paul makes his declare in, Rome, in Acts 22 that he is a Roman citizen. I'm just going to give you the, the, the uh, cliff notes, okay? And you know what? He's been beaten by the Roman soldiers. And, and he says, hang on a minute, I'm a Roman citizen. And instantly the soldiers took off the bonds, dealt with him completely different. That's politics. Okay? That's what that is. Then in chapter 23, he's set before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. They, they can't legitimately kill him because he has done nothing wrong. So their law won't allow, but what can we do? We can make his life miserable and turn him over to Felix. So they do. In Acts 24, he goes before Felix. Then he goes before Festus in Acts 25. In Acts 26, he stands before Agrippa. And he makes the claim that I'm, I want to go to and stand before Caesar. And he makes his claim to, you got Titus 3? Come over to Philippians Okay, just real quick. Sorry, Philippians 1. He makes a petition to go to Caesar. Now, he's using the government that he's under. 
He's using Rome. He's using the Roman constitution, if you will. He's using the Roman law. And he says, I'm appealing all the way to Caesar. So what do they do? They bound him up. They put him next with the centurion guard, one guy chained together, and off to Rome they go. Now, the interesting thing is, is when he does all this, he's got something else in mind. Philippians 1, verse 13, he says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the what? Well, who's in the palace? Caesar's in the palace and in all other places. Isn't that interesting? Paul says, you know what? I'm going to go all the way to Caesar's house, and when I'm doing it, you know what I'm preaching? Christ. Chapter 4 of Philippians. Chapter 4. You see, that's a little different viewpoint on government, isn't it? And the politics. Chapter 4 and verse 22. All the saints salute you, chiefly they which are of Caesar's household. Woo! You know what they did? They had him down there locked up, and you know what he was doing? Christ died for your sins. you got to get saved. You're sinners. He's a political prisoner, by the way. He has broken no law of Rome. They just got him under because they fear the people, and they're trying to keep the crowds at bay. He's politically persecuted. Do you know today, as of Thursday of last week, 260 million Christians are persecuted around the world today? They've broken no law. They just happen to believe that Christ died for your sins. That's a lot of people persecuted for just for what they believe. Why? Because the politics of the day say that they're the enemy of the state. So when we talk about politics, now come back to Titus 3. When we talk about the politics, Paul is going to lay out for you and I, members of the body of Christ, our relationship that we are to have with government. You cannot go anywhere in this world and not have a relationship with a government. Okay? Now, I'm not talking about liking it, not liking it. I'm just talking about in a generic manner, you relate to the government. Oh, I'm going to get off, off grid. Really, where are you going? Alaska. Really, that's the 50th state in our union, isn't it? So guess what you're going to relate to? The government of the United States and the government of the state of Alaska. No, but I'm going to be off grid. They won't know. Baloney, they do know. Well, I'm going to protest all you want. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about having a proper attitude, a proper mental thought process about the relationship that you and I have with government. Now, I know we go out on the Internet, and there's different governmental styles all over the world. You, where you're at as a member of the church, the body of Christ, have a duty, have a responsibility Obeying the word of God in your relationship with government. I'm not talking about voting. I'm not talking about, by the way, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I do think Paul does, though. I'll show you. Okay? And by the way, it's not a conservative. It's not a liberal. It's not a Republican. It's not a Democrat. It's not a libertarian. What? But he will tell you how to look for and how to identify who you should be voting for in our system. Okay? What happened this week, the end of this week, Friday afternoon? What did we find out? That the President of the United States came down with COVID-19, right? And everybody went, ba-boom. 25th Amendment, let's invoke it, do this and that. And it's like, wait a minute, calm down. Who told you that, the, that our president had COVID? Where did you get that information from? The press, the media, in my case, Twitter, right? How do we think about that? How do we act with that? How do we look at that? Well, I'll be honest with you. Let God be true and every man a liar. What does God's word say that our relationship with the government, politics, should be? Okay? 
Now, when we get done today, I hope you still love me in the Lord. I'll make some of you mad. I'll make some of you okay. I'll make some of you ecstatic. Some of you don't care, and that's good. <laughs> All right? But what I want you to do, you know me. Sign on the door coming in here. What saith the Scripture? What do these verses say? I could care less about your bias. Everyone in the room is biased, by the way. Okay? I'm not worried about that. That's not what I'm after. What I want you to know is in your thinking, here's what these verses are talking about. Titus 3, verse 1. Titus 3, verse 1. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to, what's that word? Isn't that interesting? Obey. Well, I have a right to protest. Uh Uh-uh. As a church, as a member of the body of Christ, your responsibility is to do what? Obey. (gasps) You mean I can't protest? I didn't say you couldn't protest. What's that verse say? It says obey. Magistrates. But now look at this one. To be ready to do what? Every good work. Whoa. To one of the good works is to be subject to and to obey the magistrates, the government. That's a good work. Verse 2. To speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. There's some good works. Look down at verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men, but avoid foolish... See, there are some good works we're to do. One of the good works he's going to tell you and I to do is to be be subject to, is to, to obey. We, as believers, are to have a mental attitude about our relationship with the world. What are we doing in this verse? To be ready to to, uh, every good work? To speak evil of no men. How do you do on that? To be no brawler. I love that. How many of you are doing good on that? Not fighting the moment. A brawler. You know what a brawler is, don't you? Someone who barroom fights. There are no rules in that. How are you when it comes to politics and you're going to prove your point? How do you do with that? As a member of the body of Christ, there's some criteria here for you and I in our relationship, in our connection with the world. We live in the world, don't we? But we are what? Not of the world. We live in this mess. We, it's up to our ankles in it, right? Shins, waist, however, wherever you got. But how do you and I, we have instruction here to have a proper m- mindset to be subject to, to be ready for every good work. Come back to chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 7. In all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptedness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Man, how does that look for you? How do, how do you look? You, you know you. I'm not trying. Okay, now this is the young men are likewise and so forth. And by the way, Titus sits in, 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 the, in the scenario and the picture of the local assembly. How about that? Being a pattern of good works. Ephesians 2 and verse number 10, Paul over there says that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. How are you doing with that? Verse, uh, chapter 2 here, verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all inheritance, uh, iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of what? Zeal. How are you doing with that? You see what happens Come over to 1 Timothy 2. We are to be subject to. We are to come along and we are to obey magistrates. We, now, again, if the magistrates come out with something that's going to go against God's word, guess where we're going? God's word. Okay? Let God be true and every man a liar. That should go without saying. After last week, we were uh, 1 Timothy 2, we were talking and, 
and I said something about them coming and taking the building and making us sell the building. And I'll be honest with you, that will not be their first step. The first step will be the loss of tax exemption because that's just a law that they can write and do and it doesn't impact. And by the way, I will tell you this right now, they are already doing it with the guys like Rick Warren and the big guys. They are already after their tax-exempt status. Okay? So then what happens if they come in and say, you've Southwest Bible Fellowship, you lost your 5013C status. What were we going to do? Uh, exactly. So we just or reorganize and keep plugging along as a C3 or whatever, you know, corp or an LLC or whatever we got to do to do what? Keep moving, keep doing. You see, folks, we're going to be subject to, we're going to obey for a different reason than the politicking side. See, that's the point here. Look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. Again, the context is a local assembly, the local church. I, exert, therefore, I, I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Second, 1 Timothy 2.1. I'm sorry. Did I say second? I'm sorry. Well, 2 Timothy 2 is good. I mean, come on. <laughs> all right. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 2, verse 2. Making prayers there for kings and for all that are in authority. Who should we be praying for? All of them. When the president wasn't your president, by the way, he was your president, but when he wasn't your guy that you voted for, did you pray for him? That verse says you should. Now watch verse 2 because notice the next word. For the kings and for all that are in authority, semicolon, that. The purpose, the reason that you're to pray for the, the members of government is that you would what? That ye may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. By the way, godliness and honesty are good works. What did Titus 3 say? Let's be good working. Let's get to work. Do the good things. But let me ask you something. Would not verse number 2 help you know who to vote for when you're looking at the candidates? What candidate is going to lead you to a quiet and peaceable life? What candidate's going to allow you to live quietly and peaceably in all godliness and honesty? What candidate? Don't answer. Because I'll tell you what, now, see, now we're down in the nitty gritty because you're going to say, well, it's got to be this guy because he's a conservative, blah, blah, blah. You better be careful with that line of thought. Do you realize that the last two Supreme Court justices aligned don't like your Fourth Amendment right to due process? <gasps> what? They're my guys. You better, you should pay attention to the review of them and what rulings they've handed down. Yes, they may not like Roe v. Wade and all the big stuff, but when it comes over here to the little stuff like due process, they don't like it. They've ruled against it. Oh, but they're our guy. Rah, rah, rah. Yeah, you better be careful. You see how quickly Paul told you who to vote for? What's my criteria? That I may lead a what? Quiet and peaceable life. What's, what candidate is going to allow me to be who I am in Christ? Neither one of them are, by the way. I'm telling you. So now what do I do? Well, what's the lesser of two evils, right? And you work it out. That's why your vote is between you and God and the voting machine, okay? But that helps, doesn't it? I think it does. I think it's worth looking at, worth talking about, worth considering, because what does, that ver what does verse number two tell me? When I'm looking at the kings and the magistrates and those in rule, what, what's their job? What am I looking for them to be doing? Come over to Romans 13. Am I looking for them to pad my 401k? To make my investments bloom and to go? For some it is. But is that a leading a peaceful and quiet and godly and honest life? For some, you have to choose for you. I choose for me, okay? Do you follow 
what I'm talking about here? Now, Timothy and Titus came way after the book of Romans, didn't it? In your edification process. I love that. Romans 13, the Apostle Paul, very similar passage, verse 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation, for the worker, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, he be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, we must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for what? Conscience sake. Look at that. You know, that has nothing to do with Republican, Democrat. The Whig Party, the Federalist Party, none of that stuff. You know what that has to do with? Your, the proper relationship you have with those who rule over you in, this, in, in, your, in, in life. That is a passage that Paul wrote back under Roman rule that's applicable today in the United States of America. Why? Because it's sound doctrine. And it's doctrine that Timothy and Titus are building upon that you understand the relationship that you and I are to have. The proper faith response to the truth of God's word where you are with a renewed mind. And we begin to begin to understand the value and the role that God has given to government in our lives. And it tells us that right there. Now, look at verse 6. For this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Notice, this is not just a, well, we've got to talk about politics. Let's give them seven verses and move on. It's not that at all. This is a very critical detail in our lives because what kind of life do we want to lead? Quiet and peaceful and godliness and honesty, right? No, yes, okay. How do I get there? Romans 13 lays out the details. He's going to lay in the foundation here that 1 Timothy and Titus build on. Now, Romans 13 sits in a context. The context is chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice that. What are we to let the truth do that we've learned? Eleven chapters of learning our identification and our standing and how to deal with the, uh, uh, life and how to have a godly one. Now we're going to talk about what? Our renewed mind and how we're to interact with one another. Chapter three, uh, Verse 3, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man. So from three to eight, you know what he says? Don't you get a fat head, buddy. You need to understand how you need to have a relationship about how a, a, a reality check on who you really are. You get a big head. You think you got all, you got 11 chapters of great doctrine. And what happens? He goes, Pop that bad boy right there. This is where you... Then he starts in verse 9, and he goes down to verse 16, and he says, okay, here's your relationships with one another between the saints. Then he starts in verse 17 to 21, and he says, here's your relationship with the world out there around you. Recompense to no man, evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. No, living peacefully. Lead a 
peaceful life and quiet and peaceful, isn't it? Why are you guys looking at me like I'm nuts? Verse 19, maybe I am. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself. Oh, hey, some of us are wanting to do what? Romans 12, 19. We, what do we want to do? Man, we want to go out there and avenge, don't we? Now, watch verse 19. Watch this down into verse chapter 13 carefully. Avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him, and if he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome, uh, e uh, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let Every soul be subject unto the higher powers. The powers that are, be, are ordained of God. Drop down to verse, five, verse 4. Oh, where did it go? Verse 4, For he is the minister of God to thee for good, but if thou, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the what? How does God get revenge? Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. How does he do that in Revelation 19? What does he come out with? The sword, doesn't he? Notice how in Romans 13, in the, church, in the age of grace, the but now, he gave the responsibility of the sword, the issue of avengement, to who? To the government. Isn't that interesting? He says, I'm, I have a plan to get even with those who do you wrong. Don't take it in your own hands. Dial 911. Get help. There's a mechanism that I've established since Genesis chapter number 1 that I have ordained, set into play, that's there to help you get vengeance. To help recompense the evil done to you. Do you follow that? And he says, I gave that responsibility to, to the higher powers, to the government. So guess what we have? We have a relationship with that, don't we? Because are we not wronged at times? No, you're not. I am. <laughs> you get it. What happens when you have a car accident? Who do you call? Usually you call the police to get a what? A police report, and you call the insurance company and fight with the insurance company for years. No, who, who shows up? The history taker, the documentation, the officer comes, makes a report, files it, does an investigation. Who's on your side? They are. Not on your side to win or lose, but on proving what happened. Okay, you guys, Romans 13. Folks, there's a progression of thought here. Paul is explaining the relationship that we have with the government. Look at verse 1, 13.1. Let every what? That's an inner man issue. Where does the sound doctrine work? In your inner man. This thinking, verse 5, the end of that verse, but also for what? Conscience sake. That's an inner man issue. That's deep down. That's the sound doctrine coming and working in you. By the way, verse number 5, that's pretty common sense. If you go against the government, what are they going to do to you? They're going to get you. So it's kind of common sense. But for conscience sake. So I just want to take 15 minutes and look at this passage here with you. Because what this passage does is it lays in an understanding of what government is all about and why it's there and why it's necessary and then our relationship with it. Okay? Verse 1. Let every soul, again, inner man, be subject unto the higher powers. 
your soul inside be subject to, be, be underneath the power. The authority comes from God. He's the one that set all this up, the powers, higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. The, the application of the power. Again, various forms of government all over. We've, we, you see them in history. The power. It's the application. It's not the people. God never ordained the people. The only, the only person, the only group of people that God ever ordained to be an authority over government was the nation of Israel over Israel. He's not looking at the people. Well, I don't like Governor Ducey. Well, I don't like Governor Fry. I don't like the... Hey, hey, hey whoop-de-doo. Blow it out your nose. That's not the, what Romans 13 is talking about. He's talking about the power, the authority. It's He set it up. It's not about the people. It's not about a particular style of government. By the way, do you know what God's preferred style of government is? Monarchy, yeah. Theocracy, monarchy, a king. That's his preferred style. Why? Because he's the king. Okay? By the way, the most effective government is a benefactoral monarch, but only when it's run by the righteous one. <laughs> okay? Verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power. All right, well, what's the power? Resisteth the ordinance of God. He's talking... He, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Now, that's not damnation of by God. We're in Romans 13. What does he just did in Romans 1 to 5? You got justified. 6, 7, and 8, he says, it's all you. It's yours. It's a present possession. Chapter 9, 10, 11, he says, you're not spiritual Israel. You're the body of Christ. And then he says, so the damnation here isn't God damning you. It's what, who's going to get you? The powers that be. God set up government and the authority. Come over to Colossians 1, just to remind you, way before sin and evil and the fall of man ever entered into existence. Colossians 1, verse 16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him. And what? For him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. When did he set up that governmental system? Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Before the foundation of the world. That's when he did it, Ephesians 1 says. He went all the way back, come back to Isaiah chapter 9. He goes all the way back to Genesis 1, verse number 1. You need Isaiah 9. When he says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, what he created, along with the physical universe, was the governmental structure to run the physical universe. We spent weeks looking at this, folks. The, the issue is the power, the structure. That's the powers that be. Isaiah 9, look at verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. There's your Christmas card. Everybody stops right there. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government. And peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with just judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. How, much, how long is that government going to last for Israel? Forever. God loves order. He loves government. He loves structure. 
The zeal of the Lord of the host will perform this. So when you come into you and I today, Romans 13, it, he's not just throwing out and saying, okay, go live in chaos. He says, no, look, there's government, and you're going to interact and have a relationship with government and how you ought to be thinking about this and how you ought to be looking at the stuff in your inner man is the fact is, is that I ordained that government to be there. Not the people. The people are sinful. I know grace believers that are in politics, that are in government, that sit on city councils and do stuff. That's wonderful. That's right up their alley. I couldn't do it. I'd have shot them all by now. <laughs> I just can't put up with it, okay? But they can, and that's great and wonderful. And you know what? They should be there. They're not violating a, a book, a verse in that book being there, okay? But they have to understand what's going on. Why? You and I, the same way. Verse 2 here, Romans 13, verse 2, if we resist the power, we resist the ordinance of God. We resist the way God has designed everything to be ordered and established. Then what happens? Damnation comes. Again, not from God, but from what? From who? The powers. The government. Verse 3. Now it's going to get really good right here. Ready? For the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to who? But to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? What a question. Are you afraid of the government? Well, if you're doing evil, guess what? You better be afraid of them. But if you're over here doing good, you shouldn't be afraid of them. I know what happens. Yeah, but Rick, what happens when, when uh, your good is now their evil? That day is coming, by the way. It's already here. Well, what does the end of, verse, end of chapter 12, verse 21 say? Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with what? So if the government becomes evil, your good becomes their evil, then you're, what are you used to do? You're to overcome that evil with what? Now who's good? Christ is good. The gospel. I told you last week when evil men wax worse and worse, the next verse says, but continue thou in the things that thou hast heard and learned and of whom you've learned them. You know what it does? It doesn't go, oh no, they're going to kill us. Folks, if they kill you, where are you going? That ended that problem. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Now, don't go be stupid out there. We like to have you around a little longer, okay? But the thing is, is if they come in and they say, you're going to lose your 5013, you know what we say? Okay, no problem. We'll just, thank you, have a nice day. They leave, okay, this is what we're going to have to do, guys, <laughs> you know? You just do what? You adapt. You overcome. You, you shift. Because the good has never changed. Verse 4. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. You see that thing about evil? Come back to Genesis 1. The evil there. Genesis 1. I don't believe Paul's talking about armed robbery, murder, car, carjacking, burglary, rape. I don't take that evil. The key in this is defining what he means by the evil. Genesis chapter 1 There's a specific evil that Paul has in mind that the rulers have been designed to put down to keep it from operating and moving forward. Genesis 1, verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our own image after our likeness, and let them... 
have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Notice something there. What did God tell Adam and Eve to go do? Verse 28, be fruitful. Having kids is a good thing. Go multiply. Let's go f- have the kids. Notice it says be fruitful. That's having kids and multiply. Now your kids are having kids. Why? What, is, what does God need man to do? Fill up the earth, right? Replenish. Go out there and refill the earth up. But then he says, subdue it, doesn't he? And have dominion over. Subdue. Have dominion. Government. Subdue. Go and harness the creation that you're living in. Control. Government. Coming along and controlling. God looks at Job and says, Job, Why can't man control that donkey over there? Donkey's a stubborn thing. Job, don't you know you're supposed to control the donkey? Job goes, we are. (laughs) But you can't, can you? Why? Because you know what man did? Man fell in chapter 3, come over to chapter 5. Lost that ability to subdue. Man's failed in doing. So what does God do? 5.1. This is the book of the generation of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, made he him. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam. In the day when they were created, and Adam lived a hundred and thirty years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. You and I are made in Seth's image, in Adam's image, sinful image right there. Verse 30, Genesis 5 verse 30. And Lamech lived after he begat Noah 590 and five years and begat sons and daughters. Now who's showed up? From Adam to Noah and the floods, about 2,000 years, okay? And in that time, chapter 4, nations are developed. Society is developed. Chapter 6, verse 1. And it came to pass when man began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born of them. Man is, man is growing. They're beginning to multiply. Chapter 8 of Genesis, verse 20. We've had the flood. The flood's over. Okay? Verse Chapter 20, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took a very clean beast, a very clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I begin again smite any more everything living as I have done, while the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. What's going on there? After the flood, what happens? It comes out, boom, this is what's going on. Now watch chapter 9. Verse 1, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the, notice it doesn't say subdue. It's the same decree given to Adam, except it's missing something. Subdue. Why isn't Noah going to be able to subdue? Verse 2, And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon that moveth upon all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea. Into your hands are they delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb shall I give you all things. You know why you can't subdue it? You've got to go hunt it now. Before Adam, over there with Adam, the fish would just come up and look at you and go, here I am, how you doing? Now you've got to drop a hook in there with a bobber and a piece of worm, drowning worms, and hope that the goofy fish is dumb enough to go do what? And you catch them. Okay? 
we go and sit 20 feet up in the air on a, in a tree stand to shoot an animal walking by. That, by the way, uh, anyway, <laughs> I'll let, okay? And you go, what are you doing? Why? why? Because now, now animals fear men, right? So guess what you're never going to be able to do? Subdue them, put them under control, under restraint. But keep reading, verse 4. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require. At the hand of every beast will I require it. And at the hand of man, at the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of him. Whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Now we have capital punishment introduced. You kill somebody, murder is going to be for murder. Boom, done. You know what will you know stop murder? Killing the guy that did the murder. Capital punishment. It's right there. But why? Because there's an evil. And he gave you a glimpse of it there in verse 21, the middle of, of chapter 8. For the imagine, imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth up. Come back with me to Genesis 6. Notice it here. Pre-flood. Folks, when Paul says they're, they're going to promote the good and restrain the evil, that evil, again, isn't just a morality thing. There's something very specific he's talking about. Genesis 6, verse number 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. Boy, what a, what a sad case. Verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with what? Violence. Verse 13, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them from the earth. See that evil? That, vi that evil is the violence. But it comes from verse 5, where he talks about every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Thoughts. Your th it's just the two ways you think here. Your thoughts. You know what? That's where you have logic. That's where you see the facts. That's where you have reason, truth. But then you have imagination. That's the artsy stuff. That's the creative side of your thinking. And you know what happens? The creative side of your thinking takes over and it destroys the facts. And it destroys the thinking process, the logic. And you know what man becomes? Filled with violence. And the evil in men's heart, the imagination of men's heart that begins to lead to violence, chaos, upheaval, unwillingness to, for morality. And you know what this does? It disrupts the order that God had established in his creation to carry out his plan. And when you come back to Romans 13... I think one of the next things to help you figure out who to vote for is who's going to come in and deal with the evil, the chaos, the unruliness, the upheaval, the design to come around and do whatever is going to oppose the order that God had established in Genesis 10, we didn't look at in those nations. He says, I established the nations. I gave them government to control that, to, to restrain it. 
you're back in Romans 13, I hope. So then the good, for he is the minister, verse 4, verse 3, for the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the what? To the evil. The evil, the violence. The imagination of man's heart just running rampant. When you look again in our history in this country, you look back at Rome, the last great world power. The United States is probably, you know, we don't rule the world, but we sure enough have our hands all over it. You look at Rome, and how did Rome fall? They fell when they started to rewrite the rules of marriage and family. The institution of marriage, God instituted it at the very beginning with Adam and Eve, and that becomes the basic building block of all society, is the husband and the wife. The husband and wife come together, they have children, there's the family, the basic building block of society, of the nation. The first one's volition, I missed that one. That's when you say, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll marry you. Will you marry me? I do. Oh, okay, good, thanks, great, Woohoo. you know. No, I won't marry you. Okay, good. Thank you. Whew, heavens forbid. Right? That's volition. Yeah, never mind. Wednesday night says uh, marriage counseling after the Bible study usually. Now, what happens? We begin to redirect and to re-identify the good with what? The evil. You see, folks, government is to come along and to not dictate how you live your life. Do you know who dictates how you live your life? It's in your lap, the Word of God. Okay? Government was never designed to come in and to rule and to order through your life. It was designed to do what? That you may lead a what? A quiet and peaceable life. Government was designed to come in and do what Romans 13 is talking about. It's coming, designed to come in and to restrain the violence, the evil. And that's why I looked with you about the cycles and the winter and those turnings and, and the Civil War and all that. It was violent, the wild, wild west. And we have a picture of that today. Why? Because it's the winter time. It's going to. It's going to die. So then what should we do? Who should we vote? You pick that on your own, but I'm going to tell you what. I just gave you a couple verses that tell you who to vote for or how to look at it. Well, wait a minute. What if none of them are doing that? You know? Then guess what you have? You have another ability, another way of thinking about things and saying, you know what? Who's the lesser of the two evils? That's where you have to go. Well, but that's not right, Rick. There's not a verse that says right or wrong. What is government to do? Restrain the violence. Protect the good. Give you an opportunity to lead a quiet and peaceable life. By the way, in all of this, Paul, all the stuff that happened to Paul, Paul never protested until it was a appropriate to appeal to Caesar. He never marched, toted a flag, my rights. You know why? Colossians chapter 1. Look over there. We'll finish up. Folks, I'm not, my job, I don't, I am not trying to tell you who to vote for. I'm trying to give you, here's what the verses say. Figure it out for yourself. Colossians chapter number 1, Paul says, verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord and unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. You know where your citizenship really belongs, don't you? In the heavenly places. 
in Christ Jesus. We just live here. Now, if you were living in China or Russia or one of the other 50 nations out there that restrain faith, and what it means, what the voice of the martyrs mean by that, and open doors of USA mean by the people who track this stuff around the world, is that you cannot have profess that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. You profess that, in 50 nations, you're boom, you're done. <laughs> and these are the 50 biggins. So what do you do? Well, you're not going to not profess Christ. That's our job. You go under you go under ground, you go do this, you go do that, you become what? Very diligent on who you talk to, <laughs> don't you? But you know what you do do? You do do your ambassadorship. Because our citizenship isn't here. It's in the heavenly places. So when you look around, as we enter into this political season, we've been in it since 2016, as we interact with the government around us, the Apostle Paul encourages you to be a good citizen. By the way, that's the rest of Romans 13. Paying tribute to whom tribute is due, comfort, honor, okay? The, the end of Romans 13, everybody, oh, I ain't paying my taxes. Well, then they're going to come and get you. Verse 6, he says, for this cause pay ye tribute also. Verse 7, remember therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom... Tri you know what he says there? He says you need to be a good citizen of the country you live in. That's what he's talking about. Because what's the government's designed to do? It's designed to enable you to be who you can be as the ambassador for Christ. We understand the system is in the hands of unbeliever, sinful man. We got that. But we are to be who we are in Christ. We are to preach the word in season and out of season. And I would hope that you would not be one that gets carried away, caught up in all the hysteria, and just go be who you are in Christ. And if you can go and you look at the candidates, I do, I study them up. That's how I knew about the two latest Supreme Courts not liking your Fourth Amendment. And by the way, they don't like a couple of your other amendment rights either. Okay. All right. You go look at them. You study them. You, you know what you find? You're not going to find a perfect one. Why? Because they're human. They're men and women. What would God have for those men and women to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? The reason we sit, the reason Southwest Bible Fellowship sits in Phoenix, Tempe, is because right downtown's the capital of this state. Paul goes to key cities and regions. We could have been in Flagstaff, by the way, I'll just tell you that, <laughs> way back when. But then it's cold in the winter, so anyway. But what's downtown? The government. And what great opportunity we can have in influencing the government of this city by having what? Someone get saved, come to the knowledge of the truth, and go, follow that? Because we're doing what? Our job as ambassadors for Christ. So Paul clearly doesn't evade and work around politics, government. He says, hey, you pray for them that you can have a quiet and peaceable life. You, you relate to them because that's how God has ordained the system to work. You might not like who's in the system. And it might be worse than the others or better than this or whatever it appears. You know, the grass is greener on the other side idea. It is the system we're in. We're exhorted to go and be the ambassadors for Christ. So I exhort you to go be that. We have a right to vote in this country. We the people. Go vote. And vote who you think should be. Don't go vote in the hysteria of the moment. Study them up. Get the facts. 
and you go vote who you want to vote for. And then when you come in here, if I vote different than you, guess what? I voted different than you did. Whoop-de-doo. Why? Because we can talk about it, but we are all members of Christ. And ultimately, when we go home and be with the Lord, you know what he's not going to ask? Who'd you vote for in 2020? That ain't going to be on the agenda. He's gonna, he ain't gonna, he, who'd you vote for in 1980? Who'd you vote for? It ain't going to be a, no, some of you weren't even born in 80. You know? It's like, no, he ain't going to ask you that at all. He's going to say, you're in my son, welcome home. Also, just kind of by the way, it's time to quit. We know the end of the story. When the Lord comes back in his second coming, what's he going to do with the kingdoms of this world? He's going to set them all to naught. Okay? So from me to you, one, know what's going on around you. Pay attention. Don't, don't walk around with your head in the sand. But then two... Don't ever forget who you are in Christ when you're in this arena. Because that's when the hysteria gets you. And the next thing you know, you're, I'm not going over there because. No. Okay? All right. You got that? All right. I hope you do. All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. Above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your son. For everything that you've given to us for all the spiritual blessings, for the completeness, and for your word so that we can understand and see what you would have us to do and to be as your ambassadors. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll stand.